Just before the election was called, the federal government, via Environment Minister Susan Lee, approved plans to rebury the remains of more than 100 Aboriginal people, including the remains of Mungo Man and Mungo Lady. The ancestral remains from Willandra in western New South Wales occupy a crucial place in the story of our species. Mungo Man and Mungo Lady have been dated to 42,000 years ago, making them Australia's oldest human remains. In fact, Mungo Lady is the oldest known cremation in the world. They were discovered in the late 60s and early 70s on the dry bed of Lake Mungo. In other words, profound, yet sadly controversial. Some traditional owners say the decision disrespects the original vision of local elders. Scientists, meanwhile, are deeply concerned the decisions ruined the chance to understand Aboriginal life during the Ice Age. Let's pick this apart with Michael Young, a Barkindji man and a former member of the Willandra Aboriginal Advisory Group, and Michael Westaway is a biological anthropologist and archaeologist from the University of Queensland. He's also a former executive officer from the Willandra Lakes World Heritage Area. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Thanks very much, Jolene. Uh, Michael Westaway, could you just bring us up to speed, please? There's been a long debate and consultation about what would happen to these remains. Tell us about the final outcome. Well, uh, the outcome as decided last week by the Federal Minister, uh, Minister Lay, was that the um, 108 uh, ancient individuals should be reburied in 26 different sites across the World Heritage Area. Essentially, they represent the largest series of modern humans dating to the, the late Pleistocene, the last Ice Age, um, outside of Africa. And so it's a really quite extraordinary series of ancient remains. And the discovery really played a core role in the nomination of the Willandra as a World Heritage Area back in 1981. So um, the decision by the minister to rebury all these ancestral remains essentially uh, brings an end uh, to any opportunity to learn more about the ancestors of the current traditional owners uh, in that landscape. There has been a lot of discussion, hasn't there, about this. Uh, it, it's changed over time. Can, can you just sort of distill the essence of that move? Yes, well, the debate has, um, you know, for many years there was a heavy focus, actually over 12 years, on developing a, a keeping place and, and cultural centre. Uh, and a keeping place essentially is a, is a facility that would be managed by the traditional owners and uh, would ensure the um, the ongoing conservation of the ancestral remains. And the concepts involved subterranean facilities, so the, the ancestors would essentially be back in the earth, but they would be managed by the traditional owners and, and they would decide whether or not people could study them and, and learn more about their past. So um, over the last few years, uh, four, four or five years, the, uh, there has been a shift and uh, the decision has now come down uh, by the Aboriginal Advisory Group that the um, 108 ancestral remains should be reburied in 26 different locations, but in secret. Uh, so the, um, there is no sort of celebration or anything like that. It's uh, kept away and a, a small group will quietly dispose of the remains um, in these different locations. Sadly, reburying the remains in those sort of sediments it's not like the ancient lakes when they were full of water that were, you know, fossilising these these ancient burials. The bones would degrade very rapidly in uh, the new context. So uh, there'd be no chance to recover any future information from them. Now, Michael Young, you're a traditional owner and you were also a member of an earlier Aboriginal advisory group. 
you supported, I'm, I think I'm right, this keeping place idea that Michael Westaway has already mentioned. How has the debate shifted then to what's being proposed now? I think that the consultation has been very limited and invite only. So that has changed a lot of the perspective where input was about going out to community and involving the traditional owners. You see, since 2015, we have had a decision, a determination of native title over the majority of the Wollanga area. And we have not been included in that process. So a lot of meetings were invite only, knowing full well that they could get people in there that would support the reburial. So the keeping place is pretty yeah, much. Who's been they, by the, the way? Table. Who's the they? Roughly? Well, the New South Wales government. I do believe that they financed the AAG, the Aboriginal Advisory Group for Mungo. That is uh, specifically supported by the New South Wales government. And we feel that the process has not been inclusive enough. There hasn't been enough free and informed consent and discussions around the alternative. And we feel that we've been left out of this process. So how long were you in the process? I'm trying to glean how, how it has changed. It's confusing. Well, they have an election once every three years and the board is changed. In its last sitting form, there are a lot of people that were actually employed by RBH that were sitting on that board and making decisions. And the other two groups, I feel, that aren't representative of the area, they don't take out into the community our concerns and discuss exactly what re really should be included in that process. And that's open and informed consent, you know, by the traditional owners. So we're feeling a bit left out. We're feeling very upset about the whole process and the disruption of, of all of our Aboriginal heritage. Dare I ask you, Michael, so are we talking about really... Dif differences within different Aboriginal groups primarily? Is that is that what's at stake here? Um, there are going to be differences. I do accept that. But it's about how you take it to community, how you present it to community. What are the benefits? The benefits of a keeping place, for example, is for our future generations. And that's also written into the World Heritage Charter. And we're talking about nearly 2,000 generations just in Mungo Man alone mm. and one generation coming along and destroying that for our future generations. Well, I'm wondering whether part of this is generational. Have you got different age groups now involved in the process as it you know, goes on? Is that part of it, Michael? I wish that was part of it. I wish we did have those varied voices and the generation coming through. Um, but it seems to be such an exclusive club, the AAG now, and we just feel we don't get access. We don't get information. We used to get emails. We don't get emails anymore. We used to get notices. We don't get those notices anymore. So it seems wholly contained within the AAG and not including the traditional owners and particularly the Bargainty people, which had a determination in 2015, over 80% of Mungo. And Michael Westaway, how do you see it? <laughs> I guess one of the, the issues uh, was that, um, you know, in the past there was always been great communication in the Willandra Lakes. There have been scientific advisory committees where scientists come and talk about the research and there was, a, you know, a lot of people, including myself, were very glad the ancestral remains were repatriated to the Willandra and most of us thought the keeping place, which was in the original plan of management, is a concept that's, you know, received millions of dollars of funding over 12 years to, to develop and some of Australia's 
leading architects like Gregory Burgess and um, Glenn Mercott have come up with concept designs were involved. So there was a stage in the Melandra with the advisory committees where there was good communication and there'd been reconciliation and an acceptance that there are different values about the past. Some of them are, are linked to, um, you know, scientific values and, and, and understanding the ancient culture of the Wallandra and some are, uh, are linked to um, traditional values as well. But the reconciliation has occurred and communication was a constant feature of discussions between traditional owners and scientists. Uh, and sadly, that, that situation has sort of um, disappeared. The last two uh, workshops they held to discuss the fate of the ancestral remains, and these were the key workshops, didn't include uh, researchers that undertake investigations of ancient human remains and there aren't too many in Australia that do that anymore. It really closed out the scientific voice and multiple requests were made to attend the Aboriginal Advisory Group meeting or the Scientific Advisory Committee meeting but um, the response always for, was from the uh, state government employees was that no, um, we don't want your involvement in the meetings, the decisions have already been made. So the opportunity to discuss what was going to be destroyed didn't occur and there's always been a respectful, respectful exchange of ideas in the Wallandra in the last well, 15 years before this development. So that just evaporated and it was quite tragic. That's why I wonder whether we've got a new, is there a new group coming in who, who needs to be brought in in a different way? And I mean, after all, this is sort of, it, it, it highlights so much because if, if that group says, no, we don't want anything more, they, I suppose they have a right to say that, don't they? They do. Look, there's never been a, a group dynamic where one uh, decision was made with full support. I mean, there has been full support behind research proposals and they, some of them relate to redating the ancient remains, which came up with the age of 42,000 years for Mungo man and woman. There was great support behind that. There was also great support behind the ancient DNA research that occurred in the Willandra. So when scientists are given the opportunity to meet with the traditional owners and talk about the value of research, you know, it's often been that, yeah, the TOs really see the importance of that work. Um, interestingly, another uh, Aboriginal person from uh, the Muddy Muddy, um, Jason Kelly, organised a, um, a petition and got over 17,000 signatures of people arguing for the development of a keeping place. So the state government-run process, I don't think, has been well run and I think it's been exclusive in who it um, selects to be involved and Michael has outlined some of those issues and there really needs to be a, a careful look at how this process has been run. What insights may we miss out on if these remains are buried? I mean, what's your take as a paleoanthropologist? You know, there is an enormous amount that we will never understand. Uh, the majority of the individuals have not been dated. Minister Lee, when we met with her last year, asked the important question, is it possible that some of these people could be older than Mungo Man and Mungo Lady? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. We now have dates for occupation of Australia going back to 65,000 years, and certainly the archaeology of the Willandra is earlier than 42,000 years. So the likelihood that some of these people are earlier certainly does exist. And um, another really important question relates to the movement of, of ancient people. There's some work we're doing now around isotopes, and isotopes are, are geochemical signatures that people ingest from the food and the plants and the water they, they consume. And it's like a, a GPS tracking system, and it can track your movement across the country by looking at the isotope ratio variation in the teeth. It's like tree rings in a, a tree. You can look at the different lines, which are the enamel growth lines in the tooth, and measure with a laser 
the variation in the isotope. So you can see how people moved around. We know that Mungo Man, he has ochre adorned on his body that uh, came from the Barrier Ranges a few hundred kilometres away. So Mungo Man is someone that may have connections further to the north. We know that the megafauna now from these same sort of isotope studies were these ma massive migratory herds moving around the country like, like Serengeti-style fauna. And it's very likely that Mungo Man and, and these people followed these migrating herds of megafauna. There are incredible insights that we could gain about the complexity of the Aboriginal past at a time when Aboriginal people are calling out for truth-telling. And all of this is potentially going to be destroyed. It's, it's absolutely tragic. And you know, what we really have to ask for, is this the best outcome for Aboriginal people and Australians in general? Look, final question to, to, to you, Michael Young. Is that Minister Lee decision the end of the process? I certainly hope not. I've been contacted by a few groups about putting injunctions on. And I think that's a fair call because the process should be, the light should be shone on it. Because we have had this uh, style of dummy board set up before, particularly when it comes to mining companies, pastors, um, veering decisions towards a group that may have been formed up just to pass the agendas of the governments of the day or even business. But to see the New South Wales government endorse this sort of behaviour, that has been a bit of a shock for me and the community down here. And the elders are very upset about this whole decision and the process as well. Well, look, we'll watch with great interest. Quite a story. Michael Young and Michael Westaway, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Geraldine. Thanks, Geraldine. Goodbye. Michael Westaway is a biological anthropologist and archaeologist. He's from the University of Queensland, also a former executive officer from the Willandra Lakes World Heritage Area. And Michael Young is a Barkindji man and a former member of the Willandra Aboriginal Advisory Group.